go to the fellowship hall afterward for lunch, and then you'll travel to hopefully watch a Braves win. We pray for good weather um, for this afternoon and safe travels. Hey, next Sunday morning is homecoming. Michael Creed will be preaching, and we will have lunch afterwards. So the church is providing a lot of fried chicken. So don't forget that we need sides to accompany that and complement that so that we can all enjoy homecoming together. We will have no evening activities today because of the Labor Day holiday, nor next Sunday because of homecoming. So no youth, children, or adults tonight or the following week. I encourage you to get a calendar for the month so you'll know more about what's taking place on a regular basis. We continue to serve out of the food pantry every Tuesday, a good number of people. So if you're interested ever in serving and helping in that ministry, let me know. Soccer ministry is beginning soon. So if you are interested in ever helping with soccer in any way, let me know. Of course, all of our ministries uh, need volunteers. And today's sermon is on serving, service, the, the greatness of serving. So let's always be thinking of how can I help and how can I serve in the local church where Christ has gifted and placed me. Um, I think that's all other than I do want to note that Ms. Joyce McLean is on piano today and Ms. Becky Carlisle on organ. Thank y'all so much for <laughs> subbing for the Whittemores. Uh, let's stand, and I want to say it's also Miss Joyce McLean's birthday. So, is that right? Facebook didn't lie about that. It's actually Joyce's birthday. Um, I want to acknowledge Miss Elaine. Miss Elaine, if you'll come forward, she has the scripture reading this morning, and um, we're grateful for her and all that she does in our church for her. Gifts and talents and services and willingness to read this morning. Thank you, Miss Elaine. I'm honored to be able to read this morning from Philippians. If you would like to turn with me, it's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Let me put my spectacles on so I can see. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That the best news that we could ever hear. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so honored to be able to be in your presence today, and we welcome you and invite you here to be with us. We know that you are the one true God. We ask that you would put, uh, that we would be able to put ourselves down and lift you up, that we would grow less as you grow more, that you would be with us in this service, that you would fill our hearts and minds with your spirit, that we only listen to you and that we would leave this place a better person because we have heard you speak to us directly. It's in Jesus' holy and blessed name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. We're going to begin worshiping this morning with singing Make Me a Blessing.
continue worshiping this morning with singing I am thine, O Lord. going to sing a special for us now.
Well, it might be clear that I thought we were singing another song. <laughs> Maybe we're not. It's time to preach already, I assume. Hey, um, children at this point can leave for Children's Church. Again, thank you, Abby, so much uh, for the blessing of reminding us that we can cast all of our anxiety upon him for he cares for us. Thank you again, Children's Church volunteers, for your service and your help in loving and teaching our children. Hey, the rest of us turn to Luke chapter 22. Verses 24 through 30. There is greatness in serving. There is greatness in serving. It's important for us to be confronted with today's text from Jesus because serving to us naturally doesn't feel that great. By nature, we would rather be served. I've been thinking recently about how it was when I first started learning to play tennis because my son Bennett has learned to play tennis and thinking about serving, not in church, in tennis. <laughs> I always felt like serving was the hardest part. When I first started playing, I was disappointed to discover that you can't bounce it and serve. You have to toss it in the air. <laughs> That's a lot harder. And not only that, but you can't just hit it anywhere. There's a, there's a smaller court, a smaller box that you have to get it into for it to count, for it to be in. Not only that, you're all by yourself. Even if you're playing doubles, it's you and everybody's watching you toss the ball in the air. Any of you ever experienced that, that, that serving was, was hard? So I was tempted to call today's sermon, Improving Your Service. <laughs> so maybe I'm doing that anyway. But I think by nature, we don't serve well. And today's text will show that. And I think that today's text will also show us some principles that if we will believe them and incorporate them into our lives and practice serving with these truths that our service will improve. Uh, to, so to continue the analogy, we are called to, with our first serve, serve God. you got to get that first serve in. Serve Him. And then with your second serve, serve others with what God has served to you. So let's read Luke 22, and I think the passage... It really speaks for itself, Luke twenty two twenty four. Now, what's interesting, and it's not just interesting, it's crucial that we understand that this message on serving and servanthood comes right at the moment when Jesus has been showing them, through his service, the importance of communion. And you heard that last week, Bryson preached on the importance of communion, communion with God and communion with one another. So let's pick up actually with where you stopped last week in verse 23. So they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. What is that this thing? It was to betray Christ. 
So they at that moment are talking about in the midst of communion, in the midst of supper, in the midst of this sacred moment, which one of us is the worst? Who could who of us is going to do that? And then notice how the conversation shifts in verse 24. And then there arose also a dispute, an argument among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So notice oftentimes as we discuss who among us is the worst, pretty quickly that shifts to who among us is the best, doesn't it? Those conversations tend to go together. Then in verse 25, So to correct this, Jesus says to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. They lord it over them with power and dominion. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. They call themselves these titles that imply that they're superior to everyone else, that they are the best. Verse 27, but not so with you. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest. And let the leader as the servant. So that's where we get this important biblical concept of servant leadership. In the scriptures, you lead by serving. Then in verse 27, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And what he's throwing out there is a common question. When you go and sit down to eat, who's the greater one in your estimation, in your normal thinking? Well, it's, it's the one who's being served. It's, it's not the server. But I am among you as the one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We'll stop there. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for all that you have given us. We pray today, Lord, that we would understand this word, that we would take it into our hearts and our minds so that not only would we know it and not only would we understand it, but that we would be able to put this radical teaching of Christ into practice in our own lives. Father, teach us this morning how to serve in your honor and your name. Teach us this morning, Lord, how to serve others with practical and gracious and generous help. This doesn't come natural to us, and for that we need your grace, we need your words. Help us today, Father. Learn to serve you, and understand the greatness of serving. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When I was in college, I took a course in sociology, and in that course, the professor assigned us a book called Habits of the Heart. Now, this is in the mid-80s. And in this book is illustrated 
how individualistic, how self-serving all of us are by nature. And while living for other people and living for God doesn't come naturally to us, but we rather need God's grace. This is a very interesting and helpful book. And I remember this comment that was made about a, a, a lady that they gave the name Sheila Larson to. Now, this is a made-up name. This is not her real name. Don't go home and Google Sheila Larson or you're going to pull up this article, okay? Uh, she was a young nurse in reality, and this is what she said about her faith. She says, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's called Sheilaism. Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. I just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess take care of each other. I think that he, and I assume she means God by that, would want us to take care of each other. Now, what is Sheilaism? Well, I guess every one of us by nature have this brand of religion where it's us and it's our thoughts and it's our way. It's a self-serving mentality that I'll just, I'll believe what I want to believe. I'll define religion how I want to define it. I'll define God and right and wrong by who I am. I exist to serve myself. And what we've got to understand is that because we are sinners, that is the ingrained, fallen nature that you and I are born with. So that's why the teaching of Christ is so important in the midst of communion, in the midst of the Lord's Supper. So I see five truths this morning that we need to grasp and that we need to incorporate in our lives to first serve God and serve others with the greatness of that God has called serving. So let me just say this from the very beginning. In order to be great, I must serve like Jesus. In order to be great, I must serve like Jesus. And I really believe that because all of us were created in the image of God, and we've got this longing for the glory that we lost, all of us, to some degree, want to be great. All of us, to some degree, desire glory. I saw a guy the other day who had a shirt on. I am the goat. Now, he's not claiming to be an animal. His shirt is saying that he is the greatest of all time. Have you ever heard discussions about who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? I wanted to go up to the guy and say, well, what are you the best at, you know? You don't look that great to me. But you're the goat, right? But I think all of us in our heart of hearts have this desire that God has given to us for greatness. But in order to be great, I must serve like Jesus. But to serve like Jesus, I've got to have a heart like Jesus. But to have a heart like Jesus, I need to be one with Jesus. I need to have communion with Jesus. And in a world of self-expression in a world of self-promotion, in a world where I think I am my own and I want to rule my own life, nihilism, how can we cultivate a servant's heart? Okay, first I want us to see in this text we need to recognize the need 
for a servant's heart. We need to recognize the need for a different kind of heart, a servant's heart. And the need is exposed in this passage because look here in verse 24. Can you imagine the audacity? Jesus is demonstrating to them through communion, through the Passover meal, that he is going to give his body for them. His blood is going to be shed for them. How in the world are they now arguing and fighting over which one of them is the greatest? That seems utterly ridiculous, doesn't it? The audacity of these guys. But then I become aware of my own heart, and you and I do this fairly easily all the time ourselves. You can be on an ar- in an argument on the way to church, <laughs> and you can get into arguments on the way home from church that revolve around the same root issues that the, that the disciples are fighting over at the communion table of all things. Later on in the book of Corinthians, you have much the same problem. The church coming together at a sacred time that unites them in communion with Christ and unites them in communion with others. And what are they doing? They are arguing and fighting and living for themselves. So you and I need to recognize that it is very possible for debates and contention and arguments to develop even in the midst of of the most sacred moments, so you and I can never let our guard down on our pride and our arrogancy and our selfishness. I have a great need for a servant's heart. This reveals it. Pride, which is competition and comparison, is the enemy of communion and contentment. Pride is the enemy of communion and contentment because of the competition and the comparison that it cultivates. It may seem amazing that this argument would arise during the Lord's Supper, but it is actually the state of natural man apart from God since the fall. So we might say, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And this is foolish. So why are they arguing and debating about who's the greatest? First of all, we would like to go up to these guys and say, listen, you're not that great. (laughs) Peter, if you knew what you were about to do in denying Jesus three times as Satan sifts you, you would realize you're not that great. We're not that great. But we argue, and we compete, and we compare, and it destroys our communion and our contentment. I've said this before, we might as all go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and see which one of us could jump the farthest from the edge. Regardless, I may out-jump you by a foot or two, but we're all going down, right? We're not that great. Compared to God and His infinite greatness... So this is a foolish argument. It reminds me again of that time my seminary professor went to hear one of the young preacher boys preach. And he preached a really good sermon. And on the way out, he walks up to the professor 
and he says to the professor, uh, what would you think? And, and, and the professor said, well, well, I thought it was really good. What did you think? He says, the, the young preacher boy says, oh, it, it wasn't me, it was God. The professor looks down at him and says, it wasn't that good, right? <laughs> so this is a foolish argument because these disciples like us are sinners with no greatness or glory on their own apart from his grace. One of the things Luke indicates here is that this attitude of contentiousness had been there all along. Remember earlier they had had an argument very similar to this about which one was the greatest. And what did Jesus do? He brought before them a little child. And he said, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So they haven't learned this lesson. The other reason this is a foolish dispute and a foolish argument is that all true greatness is in Jesus. All true greatness is in Christ. And Jesus has repeatedly displayed his glory before them. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his words. They've, they're sitting there literally as Jesus displays his grace and his gentleness. All of this should have led them to humility and repentance and faith and service. I'm just trying to drive home the fact that to, to serve like Jesus, you need a heart like Jesus. And to have a heart like Jesus, you need to see that we lack that heart and he has the servant's heart that we need. The closer we get to Jesus, the less pride we will have for all true greatness is in him, said James Boyce. This is a foolish argument. It's a sinful argument. It's destructive to the mission that Christ has set before them. And the mission he set before them and us is to be one. Father, make us one. To be unified in magnifying not our name, but who? His name. And making disciples of his name. Baptizing in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To love God with all of our heart and soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. So when people come to us, like John the Baptist, John, they're leaving you for Jesus. John has the servant's heart that we need. He said in reply, he must increase, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must continue to become less. I am not worthy to unlatch the hooks of his sandals. I must move on recognize continually the need that we have for a servant's heart or you and I by nature venture back into the pride of competition and comparison that is the enemy of communion. Number two, don't just see the need, but obey the command for a servant's heart. Obey the command. Don't make this an option in your life. You know what I, I thought to myself? Verse 26 is so important. Look at this verse. Jesus is telling them a firm no. You know when your, your child is about to touch the hot stove? And what do you say? Adamantly, no. As they are arguing among themselves as to which one's the greatest, Jesus said, not so among you. 
So there may be times in my life when I sense myself becoming, you know, he starts telling you things like this, the enemy. You're a little bit better than all those other people. (laughs) I think you could do that better. These people don't know what they're doing. You deserve better than this. When the devil starts giving you those self-centered, satanic, things aren't working out well enough for me kind of thoughts, we really need to tell those thoughts where to go, and the place those thoughts needs to, to go or back to hell where they belong. Because they're hellish, but we, be, be, we begin to have those. So, so this is how you confront and mortify that competitive comparison. You know, I deserve better than this. All those thoughts, not so among you. Not so among you. That's his command to us to understand the greatness that God defines greatness as in the kingdom. So we need to understand as he corrects our thinking in our minds, God's measure of greatness is in stark contrast to the world's measure of greatness. Jesus defines greatness as serving the way he serves. This is reality. This is the way God has designed life and the world to work. We are wrong to define greatness and success according to our man-made, man-centered categories. So let's test ourselves out for a minute. If one of my sons came to me and he said, Dad, I would really like to work in the school system, I might reply, man, you could be a principal. You might could be the superintendent. And if he says, nah, Dad, I was thinking about being a janitor. (laughs) What? Where's your ambition? Or if you had a son that said, I think I want to go into the restaurant business. I would say, man, you might make an owner or maybe a manager. He says, no, I want to be a waiter. A waiter? Where's your ambition? Or maybe you have a child that says, I want to serve in the church. And you say to them, wow, you might, you might could be the pastor. He says, no, I thought I'd grow up to work in the nursery. <laughs> what? Where's your ambition? Not that there's anything wrong with being the owner or the principal or the superintendent or certainly not the pastor. But notice what we do by nature when people want to choose the life of a missionary or a nursery worker. See, our, our ingrained programmed by nature and humanism, our, our definitions of success and greatness need to be shifted and need to be redefined. So do not assume that the greatest in God's kingdom is in the most powerful position of leadership. It's actually in the one who gives up his rights, like the youngest or the least. It's the one who is serving, not the one being served. It's the one who's serving tables. Do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. Well, how can I not let this world squeeze me into its mold? By giving yourself the dis- by giving yourself this command over and over, not so among you. 
Billy Graham was once asked in a seminary class as he was being questioned by these young guys. And after many years, the guy asked Dr. Graham, he says, Dr. Graham, how do you remain so humble? But you literally have preached to millions. There have been hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ through your ministries. You've played golf and you've had one-on-one conversations with nearly every president that has been in place during your ministry. How do you stay so humble? And his reply was this. I don't have a choice. It is his command to be humble and broken and low before God and others. That, I think, is what Jesus is saying. Not so among you. So obey the command to maintain a servant's heart, but then that poses people like me a problem. (laughs) Wait a second. By nature, if I don't have that kind of heart, how am I going to have that kind of heart? Well, look at number three. Follow the example of Christ. Follow the example that he has put into place for a servant's heart. He doesn't just command a servant's heart, but he exemplifies and he embodies the servant's heart. And he's doing it right there before them as he serves them communion. So let's think through the example of Christ for just a second. There are powerful biblical examples throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Scriptures. I thought of a couple, but I'm just going to cut to the chase and give us the supreme example of humility and service and greatness in the person of Christ and what he does at this table with his disciples. See, while they're arguing and complaining about who's the greatest, there's something that needs to be cleaned. And what needs to be cleaned? Their stinky, messy feet. (laughs) No one has washed their feet. And in this particular culture... That was a needful, appropriate, and necessary thing to do. They didn't walk around every day with their hokas on or their Nikes. So things got pretty nasty down there. Then Jesus, during the meal, gets up and he does something really incredible. He stoops down and offers the practical grace and serving, loving help of washing their feet. Even washing the feet of Judas, the betrayer. What an incredible example of loving, helpful service that in the kingdom of God is perfect greatness. Look at what he does. Using his resources... His love, His care to meet their needs. But there's an even more incredible act of service going on at that table that Bryson last week pointed out. He's ultimately pointing to the greater act of service and help that He is going to give Himself for their greatest need of forgiveness and transformation and rightness with God and righteousness before God and eternal life through the, through the serving of himself 
and his, his sacrificial atoning death through his shed blood and his broken body on the cross. That is actually the greatest example of servanthood and serving that you could ever find, and it is Christ giving himself freely and incredibly out of love for us. And in Mark 10, 45, when they were arguing along these same, same lines as to who's the greatest, he clearly said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the text for this particular point was this one. But I am among you as one who serves. You think that the greatest is the one who is in charge, but I am among you as one who serves. What's he drawing attention to? He's drawing attention to the fact that he, the greatest, the creator, the Lord, the sovereign, the supreme one over the universe, through whom everything was made, when he became man and dwelt among us, how, how was his greatness expressed to humanity? Through loving, helpful acts like washing feet? But ultimately through the, the most needed act of dying as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Oswald Chambers, who wrote a book, My Utmost for His Highest, which is a good Definition of what service is. It's our very best for his highest. Our utmost for his highest. He said this. Drudgery is the touchstone of character. The great hindrance to spiritual life is that we look for something big to do. But Jesus himself, the Lord of the universe, took a towel. Jesus himself, the Lord of the universe took a towel, and not only did he take a towel, but he also took a cross. So when you see people in life helping in this type of way, how refreshing, how fitting it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just in your day-to-day -day life you come across these people. Uh, we have to order soccer shirts for our soccer ministry. There's a pastor in our association who works for the place in Carrollton that we get our annual shirt order through. I'll tell you who he is. He's Blake Duncan. He's a pastor in our association. He's part-time pastor, and he works part-time at this store that's right beside the Green Tomato in Carrollton. I can't think of the name right now. It used to be Office Inc. It's something else now. Howard. Go print, absolutely, he's with me. Blake Duncan, in my phone calls and conversing back and forth over this confusing, difficult shirt order, he was so patient. He was so kind. He was so timely and professional. His tone of voice... And his kindness. And I admit, at the beginning of my conversations with him, I didn't know who he was. 
But then later I realized who he was. And you know what my takeaway from my conversations with him in the business world, in the daily grind of doing a t-shirt order, my takeaway was I would go hear that young guy preach. Because his daily service and his interaction with me was quite an example of someone who was very helpful and very Christ-like, just dealing with something as simple as t-shirts. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be in a pulpit, though those are necessary. It can be the way you handle a towel or the way you handle a t-shirt. There are no small tasks and no small business in the kingdom of God. Well, then I've got a problem. I keep talking about the fact that I have a problem. It's the problem that all of us have, this we are curved in on ourselves. The fourth truth, if you still are with me, is for this all to happen, we must rely upon the power for a servant's heart. And God himself will provide his power for us to cultivate a servant's heart. Rely on his power. Where do you get this? Well, if we are to follow his example, I want to point out verse 28. Verse 28 is a very interesting verse. Jesus is encouraging them, and they are going to fail and falter. But listen to what he says. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Now, Jesus, as the suffering servant of God faced many trials along the way from his enemies, but the ultimate trial, of course, was his trial and injustice and crucifixion. And he's saying to them, y'all have been with me the whole time. You've stuck beside me. I don't know how you are, but if I wanted you to stick with me and I wanted you to persevere with me, I might say something like this to you. Hey, y'all, man, for the last 22 years... Y'all have been so good to me. You've supported me. You've encouraged me. You've stuck beside me and my family the whole time. And what would the effect on you be? Well, I would hope that it would encourage you to persevere even more. Hey, Neil, you've been with me. <laughs> That's going to motivate me to continue to be with them, right? I don't want to let that kind of faith and trust down. But in this particular case... There may be some of that going on, but really the message is, why have they been able to stick with him through these trials? And why are they going to still be with him following the cross? It's because he has stuck with them. He has persevered with them. And he's going to tell Peter next time, I have prayed for you, and I will strengthen you, and when you come back, you will strengthen your brothers. Where do we get the power to serve like Jesus from? We get it from Jesus himself. We get it from his salvation. The forgiveness that he provides. We get it from his gracious presence. For he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We get it from his words. As his promises continue to move us and draw us to take up our cross daily and deny ourselves daily and follow him. He is going to provide the power that you and I need, the brokenness, the humility, the forgiveness, the patience. He is going to provide what we need to have a servant's heart to give to others. 
So don't be afraid that you're not good at serving at the moment. Keep practicing your serve. The only way to get better at service is to continue to practice serving over and over until you begin to enjoy the benefits and the blessings, until you get used to dying to self and see how God blesses you and strengthens you. Continue practicing your serve and relying on His power to empower that because the Spirit of God and of Christ lives in you. The feeding of the 5,000. We don't have anything to give these people. How are we going to serve so many people? There's a little boy with a sack lunch. And Jesus had told his disciples, you give them what they need. Well, we don't have any food. So he takes the little boy's lunch. He blesses it and he multiplies it. And then he gives it to his disciples. And then what do they do? They begin giving to the multitudes and everyone is fed, and there are 12 baskets left over. One illustration from Scripture that we serve others by drawing upon what God serves to us and giving it to others, and there will be plenty left over for you. So when God serves you forgiveness and patience and grace and strength, when God serves you gifts and talents, when God serves you opportunities. You return that serve back by giving what he has given to you with a servant's heart into the lives of others. Now I'll close with this because my time is done. You've about taken all the serving you can get at this moment, right? He says something really amazing at the end of this passage. Those who have served those who have stuck by Jesus in his trials will be beneficiaries of the glory and the kingdom that the Father gives to him. What does Jesus say to those who serve? In the future. Oh, you will look back on your service as a privilege. A privilege and a joy. And you'll say to yourself, man, it was worth it to serve in the nursery to serve in the food pantry, to serve with my whole life in my particular area of calling. It was worth it. Why? Because in the future, we will eat with Jesus and drink with Jesus and be served by Jesus and enjoy the greatness and the glory of Jesus in heaven with him. That's the promise at the end of this. So we're not that great. Ah, but we are destined for greatness. We're not that glorious, but we are destined for glory. I'm not great, but I'm becoming great, and I will be great because he will give us a great name. He has a great name. And the name he has, he bestows upon us. And he says, you will rule, you will judge, you will be queens, you will be kings, the greatness that you and I seek in this world that we cannot have on our own, he will bestow upon us at the end in heaven at his table by his service. We will see him face to face and we'll say to ourselves, wow, this is the greatness and the glory that you and I have been searching for all along. It's not something that we could grasp. It's something we receive by the ultimate servant who is Christ.
So I close with this verse. Psalm 18. His condescending love makes me great. Psalm 18. I don't know the particular verse. You look it up. Some of the versions there say, His gentleness makes me great. Your search for significance and meaning and importance and ambition has been given to you by God. But it's also been tainted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. But His condescending love through the cross and through the resurrection and all this, this that we hear about it in passages like Luke 22, His stooping love makes us great. His serving, His humility, His gentleness makes us great. That's the greatness of serving. And that's what you and I are called on to give. There'll be a basket left over for you as you feed the multitudes. And it'll be the new heaven and the new earth. Nothing less. Nothing less. Father, thank you for the grace that gives us this word in Luke. You know that I need it because you know how snarky I can be. You know how selfish I can be. You know how resentful and impatient and whiny and complaining I can be. Lord, I know that the Bible says that that resides in each of us because of our sinful, fallen, selfish nature. We need you to radically shift our minds and our hearts to be more in line with the suffering servant who is Christ, who took upon himself all of our grief, all of our sorrow, all of our shame, all of our guilt, who came among us as one who serves. Father, help that reality, that grace, change our minds and hearts to reflect more of you. In Jesus' name we pray as we enter our time of invitation. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. You come during our invitation as we sing. With your prayer requests, with your decisions, with whatever you have to bring before us today, you come as we sing.
Catherine. Hey, thank all of you so much for worshiping with us at Glenlock on Labor Day weekend. I uh, hope God spoke and blessed uh, during our time together. I have one special request uh, that I'd like to ask prayer for. Please pray for the family of Jesse Reed. That's the son-in-law of uh, Doug and Stacy Walker. His funeral is today at 5 at Brush Creek Park in Franklin. Just pray that God would move and graciously encourage them and comfort them during, during their time of loss. Any other special requests before we close our service? Pray for our youth as they go to the Braves game this afternoon. And next week is homecoming. So in case you missed the beginning, I would love to have you come back next week and have dinner, not on the grounds, but in the fellowship hall with us next Sunday. Captain, would you close us, please? Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly. We'll see y'all next week.